The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome to Amplified. We are live here in D.C., or I should say I'm alive here in D.C. We have a great show planned, and I guess a show finally hits the, the grade that it needs to to be taken seriously when Joel Kahn says, I will be on your show. So, Joel, we are so excited to have you on the show. I'm going to let Gita go ahead and read the bio and introduce you, and we're going to get on with a great conversation. Joel, we are super, super excited to have you on our show. Just a little more about you. Uh, Joel Kamm is New York Times bestselling author, professional keynote speaker, social media marketing strategist, live video expert, brand influencer, and futurist. With over two decades of experience harnessing the power of the web, publishing, social media, and mobile applications to expand and reach and engage in active relationship marketing, Joel is a sought-after public speaker who leaves his audience inspired, entertained, and armed with strategic tools to create highly effective new media campaigns. A big warm welcome to you, Joel. Over to you, Well, Ken. thank you. But it's great to be here. I'm, I'm glad to make it. And uh, Ken and I go back several years, and uh, he's kind of a big silly like me, so I like that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Joel. I am so glad that we took the time. We had like three hours to rehearse the, for the show, and I don't typically rehearse this long, so I hope I don't miss any of my lines. Well, I've rehearsed about none seconds. So actually, <laughs> I think I've been rehearsing my whole life for every interview, you know, whatever it is. Um, I, I've been, you know, my life is preparation for the next thing. Well, we've had some uh, pretty cool people come on this program, and I, and I have to say, you are one of the coolest. I'm so excited to have you on the show. And I want to uh, tell my audience why we uh, would love to have you and also support you in the future. Let's start off with what got you into the story of actually being this wacky guy that actually um, makes all these differences and has big companies uh, look after you to let the world know that the next big thing is X. Well, you know, my mother gave birth to me. And uh, for, it just like what all the things that I do just seem like the natural things for me to do. And that usually includes nerding out on technology, you know, playing with the latest gadgets or sites that fascinate or interest me. And uh, because I'm always on the lookout for the newest thing, I tend to spot uh, things before others do. And by the time that they you know, know what's going on, I'm already, you know, deeply entrenched into it, whether it's, you know, learning how to monetize my websites with Google AdSense 
or building uh, applications for you know the iPhone or getting into live video streaming or other forms of social media. I just kind of arrived to the party early, um, not because I'm so smart, but just I'm naturally curious. And I love playing with these toys. In fact, as we are here right now, I've got one of the, the newest drones that does 4K live video is sitting here on my desk and I'm waiting for a sunny, non-windy day to go take it out and show it to the world. Uh, and that's just what I do. And how many drones have you flown before? Um, just uh, one, really, that I've owned for a time. It was a DJI Phantom FC40. Um, so I was, I was recording videos, I want to say about three years ago, uh, over Denver, and now I've got the DJI Mavic Pro, which is their newest one. Ken, you can hold this drone um, folded up into the palm of your hand. You can travel with it easy. The propellers all fold into the unit, so it's actually it's smaller than your head. Um, and wow. so yeah, I'm excited about that because once I get the hang of it, it means I can take it places with me. I can take it, you know, when I travel to another destination and fly it. Whereas, you know, before, if you were going to do video from another location, you got to get a big case that you're going right. to, you know, sometimes you have to check that bag and, or it's just, it's an extra big carry on. And this thing, uh, you know, it's the, the bag for this is uh, like a woman's small to medium-sized purse. And do you have companies actually connect with you and say, hey, would you uh, check this product out and let your tribe know about it? Oh, yeah, regularly. You know, and, and um, there has to be a connection for me. You know, if somebody wants to send me something um, that, you know, there's no personal connection, then I tell them, hey, I appreciate that, but no thanks because um, I won't. I'm not going to use it, and you can't pay me to um, endorse it if there's no personal connection. So I turn down, you know, certain things. But uh, people who know me know what I like, and so there's, you know, there's always some gadget arriving on my doorstep or some digital download that people want me to test out. With Snapchat, which I have to confess, I didn't really understand how powerful it was going to be. And uh, I didn't necessarily think it was going to be a fad, but I saw you were one of the forerunners and, and same with Gary Vee. And I guess my question is, when people like you learn about Snapchat, if you guys embrace it, the company propels. And if you don't embrace it, it probably has a challenging time uh, getting into the market. Would you agree with that? Uh, well, you know, I don't, I, I don't feel like I can really take much credit for success or failures of any companies other than my own. Uh, there's certainly people out there that have much larger audiences and greater influence than I, but I did in my market, uh, the, the, the tribe that follows and engages with me, I did have an influence, um, you know, where Snapchat's concerned. Once I started getting into it, I saw a bunch of my peers trying it as well. Uh, I'm actually not using it as much anymore just because I'm in live video more and a lot of those peers have moved over to Instagram stories which just doesn't interest me as much as Snapchat did. Right. Well, yeah, I saw that you were doing live video, and I was going to ask you how much you were balancing all these different platforms. I, I look at you as the guy that uh, has kind of broken the rule because there's typically experts in social platforms, and it seems you speak just a lot of languages, and you're very comfortable in a lot of platforms. Part of it is I get bored. 
you know, I get, I've, I've had enough. And, you know, as a businessman, I don't consider myself smart because if I were, I would have stuck with podcasting, you know, back in 2006, or I would have stuck with Snapchat now and continue to grow and nurture that audience. But I never want to do something just for a buck. I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, I am car paying that DM. I'm doing what I want to that day in that moment, in that season of life. And that means that I probably forsake certain opportunities to build upon platforms, but I'm, I'm having fun. And that to me is more important than how big my bank account gets. I agree. And um, here's a question for you about Facebook. You know, it, it, it kind of blossomed in 2006 or eight, and people that were early adopters saw that this had some legs and, um, and, and gave it a vote of confidence. And then there were people that said, hey, this is, this is only going to last so long. The platform is going to be, there's going to be something else that builds something bigger and better. Would you agree that the reason Facebook is so strong is because they take care of people like you that get bored and they have the next thing? They're, they're constantly investing, innovating, and, and buying out the newest technology. Uh, you know, that's part of it, but even at its core, Facebook has done a good job of the most important thing that a social network needs to do, which is facilitate the connection of people. Uh, you know, the whole system that they built upon, which, you know, originally MySpace pioneered of friending people and actually having a social network where you can make posts and people can like, comment, share on your, uh, your, your thoughts or your images and then your videos. That's the core of, uh, you know, what makes Facebook so successful. Uh, combine that with the fact that they're collecting so much data on us and their advertising pro system works so uh, fantastically for those that are spending their money on clicks on, uh, on Facebook. Uh, I, the innovation is important. You have to keep delivering on that, but I think they've got the basics right, and that really points to why they're so successful. Are you a big proponent of, uh, of investing and betting on these technologies? You know, I am not the guy to follow when it comes to investing in the stock market. Um, it's never been a forte of mine, and if I buy stock, you can pretty much bet against whatever, <laughs> you know, I've bought. <laughs> So I don't, uh, I don't invest uh, my money that way, um, but where the social networks are concerned, I do tend to have an ability to, to call it when something is, uh, is going to be big. I, but every now and then I blow it, you know, like, uh, like Blab was this wonderful um, live video network that really uh, pulled in a lot of people quickly and had a chance at growth and carving out a place in the market, and I really thought they were going to do it, uh, but they, the people running the business had no business running the business is the bottom line. No offense, fellas, uh, Blab, but <laughs> you messed that one up, um, and it could, it could have really thrived and, and grown, and um, so I, you know, I didn't see it failing, uh, but that happens. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we uh, get it wrong. Well, with regard to getting it wrong, I, I've seen just so many people try to get engagement on social media, specifically Facebook pages, and their, their business pages are not really doing much to give confidence to the person going to check out their page. What would you say to someone that has uh, got a, a dead business page? Would you say that it's smarter to just delete it, or what, what advice would you give them? No, you know, uh, 
as long as the page is still there, it can be given, you know, it can be resuscitated. And uh, pages are difficult because uh, Facebook algorithm has made it difficult. There's so many things that people want to see now, and Facebook will always show content from your friends before it shows content from pages because Facebook wants you to pay for people to see your pages. They want people to advertise. And, uh, you know, so only a fraction of the people who actually subscribe to your page are going to see your post show up in the feed. So it takes both a, a concentrated effort of creating original quality content that even a small number of people will like, comment, and share in order to boost you in the algorithm, and spending money in targeted ads that get your content in front of the audience that doesn't already like your page. Well, you rock with uh, regard to what you post on your personal page. And do you t- I, when I talked to you back at the Gorilla Summit uh, two years back, you said, I, I don't really focus too much on my business page because the algorithm is really friendly on my personal page. What's mm-hmm. your strategy with regard to your business page? Uh, you know, actually starting to work it right now, I've got an assistant that's helping me to, uh, to resuscitate it and to drive more traffic that way. But uh, you're correct. I actually had Facebook move my verified mark from my business page to my personal profile because I use my personal profile way more and I get much better engagement there. And so, you know, I'm happy with that. The downside is I can't boost or advertise, you know, from my personal profile. So everything that I do is organic. There's no way to, uh, to drive paid traffic to that profile. Are you considering placing the original on your business page and then moving it to your personal page or vice versa? Uh, no, I won't move the verified mark. I, want, I like having the verified mark on my personal profile. It's, it's much more scarce to have a verified personal profile than it is a verified page. So I think it makes you stand out. It, it, you know, your little blue check mark shows next door to your comments, you know, on everybody right. else's posts. And look, I know that it doesn't mean anything, and you know that it doesn't mean anything, but at the same time, verified does mean um, that we want what we don't have. And so it automatically somehow raises the credibility level of uh, people who are viewing, if even just a little. So I would say quite a bit. I mean, I I think the verified mark is... Facebook doing some due diligence that you created some pretty amazing things in the world. And the fact that you have a, a pretty substantial amount of content on Wikipedia, uh, people are going to find out why you're verified. So they do more research on you. So I think it's a really, I think it's a really uh, cool aspect that Facebook invented. Yeah, it can't hurt. And I know that, you know, when you're verified, you could be really intentional about how you leverage that. For example, once I was verified, I thought, you know, if I go and comment on other people where I want to be recognized, if I go comment on their posts, I might be able to bring more attention to myself and to what I'm doing. But that's, for me, that's too strategic and not organic (laughs) enough. So I probably don't leverage the fact that my profiles, both on Facebook and and Twitter and Instagram, are verified, Uh, but I could it just doesn't sound like great fun to me, so I don't. Well, I mean, I don't think I should say this on the air, but I'm going to say it anyway because you and I agreed we were going to make things kind of spicy in spots. So sure, go for it. I did, say I, whatever I saw you a want. Speak, <laughs> well, I saw a speaker 
uh, who's a bit of a hack and a, and a comedian. He says, you know, I, I can hack anything. And he says, to give you an example, I can hack Facebook and, and I can have a verified uh, page on uh, my business page and my personal page. And people are like, how the heck can you do that? I mean, what is the do? coding? Uh, he just put the blue check on a photo and he placed exactly where the blue check was supposed to go in the photo and uploaded the photo. Yeah, you know, but that, that doesn't show next to your comments. And yes, you can do that. And to me, that comes off like, uh, and I hope you don't do this. Cause <laughs> hey, if I don't have it yet, you know, I heard this comment two years ago. If I don't have it yet, it's not happening unless I earn it. <laughs> so. No, here's, here's, here's the fakery that bugs me. Um, there are people out there teaching that if you put out a press release, that press release, you know, if you spend a couple hundred bucks on a press release, it gets distributed to all the news wires, which means it shows up on Yahoo, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, the ABC affiliates. It shows up on all these sites because when you do press release distribution, they all automatically put them up. It doesn't mean that those networks are reporting on you. It just means your press release is being distributed. Okay? Right. And what pe- somebody is teaching people that they should put on their profile picture, the logos for these various news uh, sources, as seen on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, New York Times, whatever. And it's fakery. Um, it's BSery. Uh, and I, I, I hate um, it when I see it's bull, it because... It's poopery. It's what? It's bull poopery. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it, and you see it a lot on LinkedIn, and I'll tell you what, if you send me a friend request on LinkedIn, a connection request, and I see that, you automatically go into the, nope, because you're having to fake it. Just be real. I, I just, I, I've got very little tolerance. There's another, there's another thing out there, as long as I'm ranting, can I continue ranting? I love, I love rants every once in a while, so bring it. There's at least one teacher out there that um, invites people to speak at Harvard for a fee. Okay, I'm not mentioning any names. Nope, nope, we aren't. Invites, invites people to speak at Harvard for a fee so that they can say they spoke at Harvard. Well, in actuality... Um, they're on the campus of Harvard, but they're just renting a meeting hall across from the campus, like next to a diner. It's a banquet hall that people have weddings and bar mitzvahs and, you know, company meetings. And they film the people, you know, giving their presentation at Harvard. Then these people go out there and say, here's my talk at Harvard. You didn't speak at Harvard. You know, I could go to the McDonald's across the street at the Harvard campus and film myself by that token and say I spoke at Harvard. And or it's McDonald's. embarrassing. And it's, it's, it's not, now I actually did speak at Harvard. I got invited by one of their departments and uh, two, I want to say a year and a half ago or so, I was in Boston with Brian Kramer and Mari Smith and E. Brian Rose and uh, Michael Drew. The five of us did a social media day for Harvard students and, and uh, those in their, uh, their, their uh, what was the department? It was uh, an entrepreneurial business division. I can't even remember. But I actually spoke in a Harvard classroom on the Harvard campus, invited by a Harvard faculty. That's speaking at Harvard, not the BSery of renting a room, 
on the campus and saying you spoke there. I just, I got no tolerance for that stuff. Well, thank you for your rant, and it is uh, you're welcome. You know, well stated, and there's I, I agree with it. It's always about being authentic, and I think actually uh, Gita had a question for you with authenticity. So, Gita, you want to ask that question now? Absolutely, I would love to ask that. I've been waiting to. Uh, the question that I have, uh, Joel, is uh, when we talk about authenticity, there are so many things that come up on Twitter and social media. Is there any? funny but yet authentic comment that came towards you on any of your social media? Are there inauthentic comments that come to me? Any authentic but yet funny com- any, any authentic yet funny comment? Oh gosh, people make authentic and funny comments on my stuff all the time. Um, I'm so used to it. You know, you, my, my friends uh, have a tendency to say whatever's on their mind and they know that I'm incredibly self-deprecating and, and like to pick fun of myself. And so they join, you know, and like, Hey, it's okay. We can kind of pick on Joel and, and make fun. So it happens so regularly that all you have to do is look at my feed on Facebook on my personal page and, and uh, you'll have a good laugh. Um, I can't pick one, you know, right out of the, the air and uh, repeat it back to you, but it's, it can be pretty entertaining at times. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> so uh, with you doing the live, it's really important, obviously, that if you really want to connect with your audience, that you're authentic. What are some of the uh, t- uh, tips you'd give to someone that's just approaching doing live or the video for the first time? Well, first of all, and, and some people, you know, you might take offense to how I say it, but then you're going to go, oh, you know what? He's right. Um, if you are concerned about how you look or how your set looks or uh, if you don't have, you know, exactly what you want to say scripted or if you're afraid of uh, stumbling and making a mistake while you're live, I'm going to tell you this. Get over yourself because it's not about you. Now, that could be a little bit of an ouchie for some people when I tell you that your live videos aren't about you, but they're not. Uh, When we're going live, the point is to deliver value to those who are listening. This interview right now is not about me. You're talking to me, but I'm not here for my own, you know, edification. Oh, I get to be interviewed. It's all about Joel. No, I'm here in hopes that what I have to say uh, through my experience and successes and failures will somehow impact somebody who's listening in a positive way. So the gifts and talents and abilities and and, uh, the uniqueness that makes me me, my experiences and my personality are designed to bring value to you. That's why I'm here. Um, it's not all. It's not about me. And so live is no different, whether you're doing video, audio, or whatever kind of content you're creating. You're doing it to bring value to others. So the first tip I have for doing live is get over yourself. It's not about you. It's okay to be fully human. The more authentic you are and the more comfortable you are in your own skin, the better you're going to do because people want to connect with real people. And real people aren't all spit and polished and perfect. Real people make mistakes. Real people can be awkward. And we identify with that because that's all of us. And anybody who says it's not is trying to sell you something. So that's where I would start. Well, I have to say my presentations and and 
get her on stages has really been a lot easier for me and have been more received since I had someone tell me, hey, take you out of the equation and serve the people that you're talking to. And it really is a shift. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's, it's, it, is, it is the difference of whether you're going to actually be successful or not successful with any medium. It really is. And, it, you know, it takes time. Some people come by it naturally, just like some people come by speaking more naturally. You know, that's something that has been easier for me, but not the easiest. I've still had my rough moments. But it's to the point now where I speak or do interviews that it's like I'm stepping into my own living room. I'm that comfortable and at ease because I'm focused on the content that I'm going to share and the value I'm going to bring. So I don't get those nerves anymore. Now, if you tell me I'm going to be speaking, you know, at Shea Stadium in front of 50,000 people, I'll probably, you know, need to put on my depends. Uh, (laughs) It might get messy. But, you know, for the most part, when I do what I do, I do it very naturally because I'm not in my own head about how I'm going to screw up. I I can't tell you how many times I've been on stage and I've said something that the moment it comes out of my mouth, I I could be embarrassed. And instead of just worrying about it, I'll address it. I'll be like, wait, did I just say what I thought I said? Did you guys hear that? Give me a second. I'm going to remove my foot from my mouth and let me rephrase that. And I'll be the first one to to recognize when I've messed up. And uh, I think that that goes a long way towards building trust with people who who are listening to you. Otherwise, they talk about you behind your back anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Talk to me you know, on uh, my back. Gita asked you a question. Since you didn't have an example right out of the gate, I'll, I'll share one that I just enjoyed off your page uh, really about three or four hours ago. And that was the, uh, these are the concerts I've been to, which one is not a concert I've been to. And <laughs> I, I loved your video, and I really enjoyed the fact you started off with saying that was not going to be something I played. And I, I, when I was but the first one was cute. The first one I said, wow, that's really ingenious that that person came up with. This is a pretty good guessing game. But then when it, uh, other people did, I said, oh, this is just uh, the next trivia game we're playing on Facebook for a little while. <clears throat> so I, I enjoyed the fact that you pulled out your envelope of real stubs and actually went through all the, the different concerts. What was one of your favorite concerts? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, I've been a Genesis fan from way back. I love uh, Genesis material that dates back to 1972, the Foxtrot album. And that was when wow, Peter, Peter Gabriel, Gabriel was, yeah, Peter Gabriel's with the group. And, you know, they did that one. They did The Lamb Lies Down Broadway um, and some of their, their greatest work. And I saw Genesis, I want to say in 1982, might have been the Abacab tour. And, of course, yeah, that and was then it was just three of them at that point, as uh, Phil and, and Mike and Tony. Uh, yep. But they had Chester Thompson, who toured with them to play drums, and uh, Daryl Sturmer played uh, the guitar licks. And they reprised Supper's Ready, which is the entire second side of the Foxtrot album for 1972. It's their magnum opus, you know, in several wow. movements. Uh, and, it, and I remember them playing that, and, you know, I think I screamed like a little girl. Because I was so giddy. Uh, You know, the best concert, it's not just entertainment. Uh, Music that takes you on a journey is, um, you know, for me, I'm I'm more about progressive art rock. And so, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. But the truth of the matter is, is they really don't write them like they used to. Agreed. And and that album was a superb album, Abacab. And I go all the way back to the Peter Gabriel days as well. 
you had you had a couple of Grateful Dead tickets in there as well, so I guess you uh, like them a bit. I saw too. the Dead a half a dozen times, yeah, and I actually remember several of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I noticed that you really are focused on G groups, Genesis and Grateful Dead, and you're really kind of ignoring the rest of the outfit a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can fly to the end of the alphabet and talk about yes. In fact, I've yes. got concert tickets to see John Anderson, Rick Wakeman, and Trevor Rabin um, this, uh, this fall here in Denver. I've probably got my concert lineup for, uh, for this summer and fall is about 14 concerts deep uh, because I live in Denver, and we have these outdoor venues, Red Rocks being the most spectacular of them. It is the single best outdoor music venue in America. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about and you're thinking, oh, we've got this theater. No, no. Go look up Red Rocks and you will see the most breathtaking natural setting that's been turned into an amphitheater for a show um, that is anywhere. And so we've got that. And then we've got a couple of our botanical gardens do a summer music series. And then we've got your traditional outdoor theater, Fiddler's Green. And I've got tickets coming out my ears. Um, it's going to be a great summer of music. Well, I mean, that they attract uh, the best talent in the world, Josh Groban, but, uh, Andrea Pacelli. I mean, you name the voice and the act, they want to be there. That's, that's a complete yeah. privilege. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're going to see... Uh, you know, Ken, yes. one of the great things about Red Rocks, have you been to the theater? I've been there, but I haven't actually uh, seen a concert. I've only been okay, there. But you, the, it's, it's open as a park. It's a, it's a state right. park. And so you can go into it during the day and you can walk on stage. Um, and, you know, as I've been on that stage looking out at the, the seating um, and the huge red rocks, that, I mean, the big rocks are like little mountains, you know, that, that um, frame the amphitheater. I think, wow, can you imagine playing here, being on the stage? You know, especially when night after night you're at another homogenous theater, right? They all start to look the same. And you come to Red Rocks mm-hmm. and you're like, this is freaking awesome. <laughs> that sounds like a uh, lyrics from a song. This is yeah. freaking awesome. Hey, yep. uh, uh, did you ever hear uh, the album when John Anderson went uh, and did an album with Vangelis? Oh, gosh. That was, what, 20 years ago? Yeah, about 20 years. Yeah. I, I, do, I don't remember what it was called, but I do remember the album. Yeah, I don't have it at the tip of my tongue, but I did play the heck out of it. It was a very interesting combination to have those two, like a new age and then his and John Anderson's voice. And it was just pretty, uh, gosh, it was spiritual and also like surreal at the same time. Kind of crazy. Yeah, well, John's always kind of been this new agey woo-woo kind of guy anyway. You know, he's, uh, he's always been this uh, Woodstock, you know, hippie lo- roll leftover guy. You know, that's how we got great yes albums like Close to the Edge, you know, is, is in the gates of delirium. And I know we're probably like losing a bunch of people right now. We're going, what is he even talking about? No, but we're probably gaining the people that are going to say, which groups did uh, Joel Com and Ken talk about and Amplified, and which one did they, what was the one that they didn't? So, right. It's going, to be, it's going to be a whole new trivia thing on Facebook. All right, so well, you can, we really you can, take I'm going, to, I'm going to give you before, you, before I allow you to move on, I'm going to tell you I've got tickets for the 50th anniversary of the Moody Blues concert tour. Oh, I've got tickets for King Crimson, and I'm going to be seeing Hall and Oates with Tears for Fears. Oh Jesus! Come on, you know it's getting better. Uh, no. That yeah, it doesn't get much better. And I have seen Moody Blues several times, and I have, I think, almost every album. I mean, that's that's quite a 
a feat to make that investment because they've been around since '67 or something like that. Forever. Um, yeah, they have, and, and, they, and they're phenomenal. Every album they've done has been a poetry and and beautiful music. You know, I I think it's very important for your social media and for people to see that you really are at these concerts. That you bring me in as the social proof uh, photographer, getting the pictures of you at Red Rock and all these other places. Just just saying. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a way you can do that. You buy your ticket and you can, like, be at any concert you want. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> well, I, I, I agree, and I would love that. I just kind of want to get closer to the band, so I figured you'd be back back a VIP pass and you'd just be hanging with them in the back room. Yeah, no, I wish. That's, uh, nobody's invited me to do that. Maybe I find that surprising. You know, uh, if you actually said, I'd like to tell the world that uh, this concert's happening, you would probably get some preferential treatment. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe I'll have, yeah. I'll have, to, I'll have to try that card. I, you know, I try. There's a really a, a fine balance, I think, between being authentically influential and um, manipulating. And I'm not right. saying that crosses that line, but um, I just really go with the flow and when I get an idea I run with it and, and then I'm, you know I'm pretty much I'm like everybody else uh, you know some uh, some people might know my name or read one of my books and I might be more known than somebody else but there's other people that are way more known than me I'm just a guy in Denver doing what I love to do and uh, and it's just it's a privilege that some people uh, know who I am and, and are impacted positively by what I do. Well, I mean, and to mention the word manipulative, I, I've said this before to my audience, it's, there's good manipulation, there's bad manipulation. Obviously, if you're providing a belief in that particular group and you want to tell the world about it and they reach out to you and say, hey, thank you so much, this is a, a VIP pass to hang with the band since you've been a big fan, that's certainly manipulative, but it wasn't intentional in any malicious way. We call that persuasion. Yes. <laughs> Well, you know, um, I was curious. I met you a couple years ago, as we said in the program, and it was actually at a women's conference in Denver that I would say had been built out as, you know, the, the next big women's conference of, of uh, the universe. And I was very excited to go there, and the, the speakers there were phenomenal. I mean, they, they had the top-notch speakers. In fact, so many of the connections I made continued to be uh, people that I stayed with and even got events from. But I met you there. At that event, you rolled in, and they had a little men's hour or men's three-hour period where they said men do exist too, and you guys, you got to talk. And and if I hadn't met you, then I don't know if I would have actually <clears throat> kept the frequencies or the connections with you to finally have you on the show, but also to know you as well as I do. Yeah, I really hate that they, you know, threw me in a room full of women. That really sucked. <laughs> <laughs> You were a rock star, man. They were all over you. They were asking for autographs, and you got to... Yeah, careful, careful phrasing, my friend, phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> well, to take this show up to another level, and because uh, we kind of digressed with the music... Well, because there's nowhere... You can't go down anymore at this point. Right. So. <clears throat> yeah, so let's talk about that, for, that fart app. What actually caused you, besides actually the sound of it, um, how did you think of that? Yeah, well, first of all, you have to know that I'm 12 years old, perpetually, okay. eternally, forever. Uh, it doesn't matter what my chronology says or, you know, that my body, 
my, my physical appearance belies the fact that I'm um, not 12. I actually am. And uh, I, this was a number of years ago. I want to say it was 2008. And I had a staff. Um, we worked out of our office in Loveland, Colorado. And I remember when I had the first iPhone in 2007. Um, it, probably within three weeks of release, I had to have it traded in my Trio 650, and, and it was the first smartphone that was amazing. And, and a year later, Steve Jobs says, let there be apps. And so we pulled into the conference room and brainstormed a bunch of ideas. We actually released an app just three weeks after the App Store launched. It had one of the first thousand apps in the App Store, and it did okay. But it was after we did that one that we looked at the ideas we had on our whiteboard and when one of the team members suggested we create this fart soundboard, we all just bust out laughing at how hysterical. And, and I turned to the developer. I said, how long would it take to code this? I turned to the graphic designer. How long would it take to design this? It was like a three-week project. I said, let's do it. And uh, December 2008, iFart released into uh, the App Store, into an unsuspecting public, and with a, a little <clears throat> good timing and clever promotion on uh, on our side, uh, the app went to number one in the iTunes App Store and stayed there for just over three weeks. Hmm. So yeah. while people were <laughs> losing their butts, um, literally with the st- uh, with stock and with real estate, you were actually doing something else with yours and yeah. getting all this money to come in. Yeah, Very innovative. It was pretty crazy, <clears throat> really crazy time. Got tons of publicity, really worldwide followed by a ton of copycats um, and some fantastic exposure. I was on The Daily Show with on John Stewart's show. I was uh, in a number of magazines and other interviews. Celebrities were talking about using the app. Uh, you know, Kathy Lee Gifford, um, uh, David Duchovny, Demi Moore, um, Bill Maher, uh, George Clooney. There's a whole list of them. You know, I, I remember reading a tweet from Lance Armstrong back in uh, 2008, and it said that he had Robin Williams over to his house, and he was pranking Robin Williams with the iFart app. So it just thrills me to know that, you know, (laughs) this app has touched so many lives. I mean, there's truly one degree of separation between me and so much of the world because the, the, you know, the go-between is the fact that so many people are familiar with this app, and um, and have it's made them laugh, and that just that makes me happy. Well, the the name with that I in front of it really, I think, propelled it. Uh, it it didn't hurt. <laughs> it didn't hurt. It was like being verified. It was like a verified fart, right? Yeah, yeah. This is your this is the official digital fart, and uh, now your phone can fart. <laughs> it was apparently it was much needed, and you know, look, we need humor, we need levity, and um, the fact that we were willing to take a risk, and that uh, I'm willing to be the iFart guy, you know. So what? Um, I think it's funny. It's funny then. It's still funny now. If I were to pull out the app and play a couple for you, I guarantee you would bust a gut because it's still hilarious. Would you? Uh, well, I'm on my phone right now, so I don't think I can. Okay, so we'll, we'll add a couple to the uh, comments section when we release the. Yeah, the there you go. Okay. Okay. Um, I wanted. I forgot to say something earlier, a lot earlier in the show, when we were talking about you being an early adopter and you saying, "Hey, I only have so much influence," 
And I just want to suggest to you that you have mainly early adopters and mavens watching you, so you don't need a lot of people watching you. You have the kind of people that are having massive impact as a ripple effect from your commentary or your discoveries that you share on Facebook and on your podcast. Hmm. Uh, That may be true. Well, I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell, and I I think you've kind of demonstrated what a tipping point looks like in several ways, and also as an outlier. Um, And outliers attract people that want to watch them and want to either be like them or want to learn from them on the the lowest level. Yeah, well, I don't don't mind the second part, but the the whole be like me thing, I hope nobody wants that. Um, the, The world is... Good enough. Uh, you know, I think all things are in balance with one Joel Com, and, and what the world needs is uh, for each person to, uh, to discover their uniqueness and bring that to the table. Uh, so anybody well, who thinks they want to be me, believe me, there's enough baggage to go <laughs> with, <laughs> with this package that it's not, you know, it's not all you bargained for. Well, I wasn't implying so much to be like you, and just as a quote, the only thing we have in common is we're all unique. And I was saying more that what you teach is how to be a risk taker, how to be authentic, how to be innovative. So I wasn't necessarily saying that you want to be identically like you, but you actually give really good advice and you give really good strategies and you live in a way that inspires a lot of people to be better entrepreneurs and be better human beings. And I, I have, well, I appreciate you a and you're do good stuff. I mean, uh, you, you wear that shirt and you believe in that, that slogan and I'd love to just give you a, a minute or two to talk about what inspired that and, and what we can do to help support that. Oh, well, Do Good Stuff is something I've been, I registered the domain probably 10 years ago because when I was on stage, I would tell people to do good stuff. When I'd sign my emails instead of to your success, you know, in my emails, I would put do good stuff. And the idea is that if you put good stuff out there, then you're not looking for something in return. You're doing good because it's good. And you decide what's good for you. I mean, having healthy boundaries and knowing when to say no and what to say yes to is important. doesn't mean you're a doormat. It just means that, you know, you look for opportunities to do good that resonate with who you are. And if we do good without always expecting that, well, I've scratched your back, now you're going to scratch mine. Uh, more good stuff comes back to us, actually, when we just do good without expecting something in return. And so uh, a few years ago, I adopted it as a hashtag, and um, uh, started, I created a T-shirt that, um, that anybody could wear to share the message. And, uh, you know, I've probably sold about 400 T-shirts or so to date. And uh, it's not something that I'm actively pursuing, but uh, that's typically in, in my life I don't actively pursue a lot. I wait for the right timing, the right people to come along, um, and I find that being patient and allowing things to just happen in their time is really a great way to go because then I don't need to worry about putting the cart before the horse and and getting run over by that horse because I've been there, I've done that, I've got the hoof prints up and down my back, and uh, and I don't want to do it again. So do good stuff is a thing, and if there's... You know, somebody out there that's interested in licensing because I do own the registered mark to it uh, once or wants to distribute, you know, has a channel for distributing T-shirts or other uh, lifestyle wear, you know, that we can manufacture, then, you know, I'm open to that. Where can one get it? Uh, well, right now you can actually go to Amazon. If you type do good stuff, there's the uh, basic black T-shirt with the logo, which is the most popular. There's also do good stuff journals. 
in black and blue, basically blank books. So if you've ever wanted to be a co-author of a book with me, go get a Do Good Stuff journal, and you could say you wrote a book with Joel Tom. Um, there's also Do Good Stuff stickers that uh, are very popular, and, and uh, they sell in 10 packs, I think, for $12, and people usually keep a couple for themselves, and then uh, they, uh, they demonstrate you know, what Do Good Stuff means, and they give them to other people. And people put them on their laptops or on their iPads, stick it on your cat, you know, drive them crazy, whatever. Uh, just, you know, getting the message out there. It's an encouraging, edifying message that, uh, that just it, it tells the world, hey, make a difference. I love the fact that early in the program you did a rant, but then being the positive person you are, you came up with a solution. So people can take down their, their fake verified check mark and all the networks they haven't really spoken at, but they did a press release. And they can just put your book up and say, I wrote a book with Joel Kahn. So that's, that's a beautiful solution. To, uh, <laughs> there, there you go. There, there it is. <laughs> well, God bless you for that. So the next thing I'd like to ask you is, what is the next thing that you think people should be doing on social media marketing to really take their business to another level? And, and how, does that, how, how much uh, weight do you put on social proof? Well, I, I don't know what people should be doing because I don't like to should on anybody. You know, we're all on our own journey, and I encourage people to go out there and screw up, make mistakes, figure out what doesn't work, and, and uh, learn about yourself and how, um, how your experiences will impact um, how you show up authentically to others. So uh, I could tell some people, well, here's what you should do. But, you know, I've had people should on me and tell me what I should do. And then I still do my own thing and fall down and go, oh, you know, I should have listened to that person. Uh, we got we to kind of learn for ourselves. So, you know, all I can really tell you is, is what I'm doing personally so that I show up more authentically. And uh, it, it, it gets clearer and clearer to me every day is I feel like my core message is surfacing. In fact, I'm writing a book right now that's going to be released on a major, major publisher um, next year that really is my core. And, and I can't wait to unleash this one because I have this gut feeling that it's going to be my most prolific, um, most distributed work yet. Uh, can you share with the audience what an impact publishing your first book was and how it led to the other books? Uh, well, interestingly enough, my first book really didn't have much <laughs> impact at all, uh, except on you know me personally. I felt good that I had done a book, but I did a book back in 1997 um, called Internet Family Fun, The Parent's Guide to Safe Surfing. And I was proud to have published a book, but I didn't know anything about leveraging a book at that point. And it wasn't until 2006 when I published a physical version of a very successful ebook that was called What Google Never Told You About Making Money with AdSense. The physical book was called The AdSense Code. Uh, and I had sold thousands of copies of this ebook at $97. And here I was publishing the same material in a physical book and selling it for what, $17.95 or something, which seems crazy. But uh, having the physical book solidified my position in the marketplace as the credible teacher for um, showing people how to make money with Google AdSense. And it led to all kinds of uh, sales of the book, yes, but podcast interviews, media interviews, joint venture proposals, speaking uh, engagements, uh, ancillary product sales, 
it really blew the doors off. So I'm, uh, I've done now 14 books. I'm a huge proponent of, of doing books, and I believe that it is uh, the single greatest move you can make to uh, enhancing and increasing your credibility. And the simplest way to illustrate that is to say, especially if you want to be a speaker, right? You, you're the authority and you want to speak. If there's two speakers being considered and all other things being equal, both equally knowledgeable uh, and expert in the topic, but the promoter has to choose between these two that are equal in every way, except one has a book, one doesn't. Odds are they're going to go with the person who has written the book. And that's all you need to know. Totally agree. Now, your absence book, I thought, was a brilliant cover. Uh, it was a bit of a player in the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, very much a play. It was a, it was a complete parody of the Da Vinci Code. Uh, the, the red and the gold and the torn you know, look of, on it, the only things that were different were the title. Um, and instead of Leonardo, Mona Lisa's eyes, they were mine. And instead of Da Vinci drawings, there was a Google AdSense revenue report. And right. uh, we actually timed the release of the book to come out the same weekend that the Tom Hanks thriller opened in movie theaters. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, which of your 14 books, if you could recommend two or three of the audience, I'm sure every one of them is on Amazon, but which ones would be uh, quite relevant not only to our conversation, but to people living a more abundant life or uh, having more of a confidence factor with their social media campaigns? Uh, well, you know, the timing is perfect because most people on social media are um, entrepreneurs. The people we're talking to, right? They're, they're self-employed. Right. They're doing their own thing from, you know, a homespun website to retail operation, mom and pop. And just uh, two weeks ago, uh, my newest book came out with my co-author, John Rampton, who writes for Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, um, uh, Business Week, a couple others. And it's called Self-Employed. 50 signs that you might be an entrepreneur and it's 50 chapters. They're very short. Um, so it's a great bathroom read. You know, you can read one, in, one in a sitting, so to speak. And uh, I think it'll really encourage people to do one of two things. If you are, um, not an entrepreneur, you're in a job. When you read this book, uh, just you make a mental checklist or even make a check, you know, next to the chapter title and see how many of these characteristics fit you and it might be an indicator that you are you need to leave your job and if you are an entrepreneur then you understand the struggles that go with that and reading this book will help reinforce who you are and why you do what you do and so uh, i recommend people go to amazon and, and look up uh, self-employed by joel com and i think it's on sale as we speak for uh, nice discounts like 12 dollars and change well, since Charlie Tremendous Jones said the only difference in where you are today and where you'll be five years from now are the people you meet and the books you read, would you share with the audience some of the books you've read that have put you where you are? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Well, um, you know, whenever people ask me who my biggest mentor was, I inevitably uh, refer to Zig Ziglar, who as a, a young man um, inspired me to uh, to pursue my dreams, and I remember reading See You at the Top, which was the first uh, inspirational book I think that I ever read, and, and that led me to his Secrets of Closing the Sale, 
And this is a pre-digital age that Zig wrote this book. But I'll tell you, the material in there is evergreen because it's really about understanding people and asking questions and understanding uh, the difference between persuasion and manipulation. And so um, that one is one I highly recommend. Uh, I believe that the Bible has some of the greatest wisdom that's ever existed, especially if you skip all of the these, thous, and verilies and just jump right to the book of Proverbs. Uh, I think people who aren't familiar with the Bible will be shocked, stunned, and surprised to see how many of the things that we accept as uh, matter of fact, uh, you know, from wisdom, things that have been handed down actually originated, you know, in, in that scripture. So that's been highly influential on me as well. Well, I want to know, I want to uh, let the audience know how to follow you. What is the best way to follow you? Where are some of your tag, uh, call signs? Well, you know, you're a professional stalker. I thought you were outside my window with a camera, so I figured you could tell them, <laughs> you know, how to <laughs> how to follow me. Uh, you know, I'm the only Joel Tom in the world, to my knowledge, which is really, um, it's a great blessing because it means it was easy to get JoelTom.com, and it means whenever I sign up for social sites that nobody's rushing to, you know, take my name. So I am at JoelTom everywhere, whether uh, Facebook, um, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, uh, Pinterest, you know, pretty much everywhere, and my blog is joelcom.com. So uh, track me it's down. A big surprise. Say hi. Yeah, very consistent with the branding there. And yeah, what's, what's a quote you live by? Um, again, I'm going to go back to Zig Ziglar again, and um, yeah, I'm going to give you two of them from Zig, okay, because they're both powerful. One of them is you get everything in life you want when you help enough other people get what they want. And the other is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That is, and those are my two favorites by Zig and also top 10. I actually am doing a, a quote book finally, so I'm excited to, this August. I will be, a, I'm a 1964 baby too, but I want to share with people the quotes that inspire. So I'll be looking to you for a couple other quotes that maybe we can interject in the book. Uh, Gita, sure. do you have one last question? I think we have one more minute. Sure, I do. Um, Joel, I wanted to ask you, I, I listened to one of your videos and uh, this spoke to me. Where there are obstacles, there is opportunity. So do you want to elaborate a little more on that? Yeah, well, you know, obstacles um, are, are just something that is put in our way often as a challenge, right? Just because there's a, uh, a barrier in front of us doesn't mean we have to give up. Uh, we should definitely be aware of why we're pursuing what we're pursuing. And there are definitely times to say, uh, you know, maybe this isn't something I want to pursue. But obstacles give us opportunity to be creative, to think of new ways to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish and uh, to personally grow, to pivot a little bit. And I'll give you an example. Um, back in 2011, I came out with a book called Kaching. And uh, we actually manufactured a little ka button, which now sells every day on Amazon.com. If you just uh, go to Amazon, look up ka K-A-C-H-I-N-G button, you'll see them there. 
But back um, when this came out, we also created an application that was this Kaching button, and we submitted it to the App Store, and Apple rejected it. They said there wasn't enough functionality. Well, a lot of people would see Apple's rejection as okay. Well, they're not going to accept our app. We have to do something else. What I did is I saw the opportunity to create a story because at that time, a lot of developers didn't know what it took to get an app into the store. And I did a funny video that was an appeal directly to Steve Jobs. Again, this is 2011. He was alive. He was the CEO of Apple. And I put this funny video out and it got picked up by TechCrunch and a couple other publications. And a lot of people saw it. And not only has it become a great story, but about a week later, the app got approved. And uh, so, you know, I saw that when something stands in your way, it just gives you an opportunity to go, okay, how else can we approach this? Perhaps in a better way. Had they not rejected the app, nobody really would have known about the app. It probably wouldn't have gotten a lot of attention. But because they said no, uh, what I did as a result of that actually got way more attention and had greater impact. Well, Joel Kahn, that was a fantastic answer and a wonderful interview. I thank you for uh, being available Pacific, Eastern, Central, in every single time zone that we wanted to have you for this radio show. You've been amplified, and God bless you, and thank you for being flexible and giving your heart to this uh, interview. My pleasure. Do good stuff. Thank you. Take care. Keep smiling. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashad again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard.